1825, a well-established American painter was commissioned to produce a portrait of and for the Marquis de Lafayette. And saying Lafayette was a supporter of the American Revolution would be a massive understatement. Having previously painted former presidents John Adams and James Madison, this professional artist's commission was another painting in a series of portraits showcasing the artist's talents. However, in the midst of painting Lafayette's portrait in Washington, D.C., Samuel Morse got word his wife was ill back at their home in Connecticut. Once notified, Morse got on his horse and raced home the fastest way he knew how. By the time he had arrived, however, Samuel Morse found that not only had she died, but she had already been buried. This event, along with encounters with inventors, designers, and scientists over the next few years, led Morse to help develop and improve a machine that could deliver a message from Washington, D.C. to Connecticut, not in days, but seconds. This machine was the electric telegraph. And telegraphs, as most of us know, changed the way we as humans communicated with each other. More importantly, the speed in which we communicated with each other. The word itself makes sense. Tele, meaning at a distance, and graph, meaning to write. The telegraph revolutionized every aspect of human life. We may not think too much of it now, with our cell phones and the internet and our video messaging, but everything we enjoy today can be traced to the telegraph in one simple question. How can we make this better? Hello everyone, I am your host Nate Ball and welcome to the Instructor's Kitbag, an Army Logistic University podcast discussing tips, strategies, ideas, history, and current trends in the educational world. Whether you are a veteran teacher or new to the profession, we welcome you to join us in our pursuit of teaching and learning. Now let's get ready to train the talent of tomorrow. So like everyone else, instructors and educators are susceptible to modes of thinking that can not only hinder us, but stifle innovation and creativity within ourselves. And in this episode, I wanted to highlight and hopefully destroy two phrases I know all of you have heard, especially when you wanted to implement change or integrate new practices and technology. Now, I can only speak for myself, but these two phrases and their variations not only drive me insane, but I also believe these phrases are detrimental to progress in our educational world. So let's examine the first phrase that we need to eschew from our mindset. How many of you wanted to try something newer or do something a different way and heard, but this is the way we've always done it? At this point, I could give you the example of like Blockbuster Video, a company that was at its peak in 2004, but thinks in part to poor decisions and not competing with new companies like Netflix and their mail order system, or even Redbox and their automated kiosks. They became a defunct company only 10 years later in 2014. Now that's a good extreme example for sure, because the company outright fails. However, not all organizations who adopt the, but this is the way we've always done it mindset, will fail in a concrete way. Our education system is a system that will not fail with this mindset, but will lag greatly behind other systems that let go of this approach. In his book, Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't, Jim Collins says, good is the enemy of great, and that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools, we don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. So now, I say that the mindset of that's the way we've always done it, 
evokes a lazy, unchanging, and stagnant monolith. So it isn't a stretch of the imagination that an educator who embraces this mindset could also be construed as a lazy, unchanging, and stagnant teacher. If either of these are true, what kind of students are we guiding? The reality is that educational theories, practices, and designs are always being revised or modified, and so that's the way we've always done it. We'll stifle our own learning, our own adaptability, and our own creativity. What has worked for us in the past may not work for us in the future. To paraphrase many people on many versions of this similar statement, we as educators are preparing students for problems we don't yet know exist. Now, I don't want to beat a dead horse anymore, so let's move on to the second and arguably the more controversial phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So on the surface, this idiom is technically true. I mean, why would you fix something that isn't broken? Merriam-Webster Dictionary states that it's used to say that one should not try to change something that is working well. But note the word well here. In this case, it is interchangeable with the word good. But what if we want something to be great? Now, I've never heard this phrase used when a practice or policy was already working at a super highly efficient state. I have heard this, though, when someone spotted a way to make something faster, better, more efficient, or even to streamline it. So this is where I equate, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, to that's the way we've always done it. I mean, technically, the rider and horse that delivered the message of Samuel Morse's wife's illness wasn't broken, right? But wasn't there a better way to get that done? So the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is in itself broken, as it seems to be said only when creativity, innovation, and efficiency are brought up to make something better. Maybe in a future episode, we could go over the ways to win over an organization or an individual that uses these phrases. But for a quick TLDR version, that's too long didn't read for those of us still learning new or shorthand, there are two solid actions to take. Create a plan to implement changes and provide evidence on why this change will be for the better. So that's it for this episode of Instructor's Kit Bag, but before we finish, I wanted to end with another story about Samuel Morse. In 1871, at 80 years old, Samuel Morse took part in a semi-official day in his honor in New York City. The day was June 10th, for those of you who are curious, and although he wasn't able to participate in the parade or the cruise in New York Harbor or the dedication of his statue, he was able to go to the reception at the New York Academy of Music. And there, a hub of telegraph connections were created so he could sign off to the American public. The last message he sent was, Greetings and thanks to the telegraph fraternity throughout the world. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men. Not many people get to tell everyone their final words. But hey, thanks for listening to the Instructor's Kit Bag, a podcast for all educators, recorded at the Technology and Education Center at Army Logistics University. So until next time, let's get to work, especially in destroying two phrases that we just talked about, and let's train the talent of tomorrow. But let's not forget to train ourselves as well. Thanks for hanging out. See you next time.